Hi, I'm Mike Dilk and you're listening to the Relax Bank UK show. The show that explores all kinds of health topics relevant to you, your family and your friends. Each week I talk to expert guests from a range of backgrounds to inform and entertain you. So please do join the Relax Bank UK family and stay tuned. Hi and thank you for joining me on this week's Relax Bank UK show. This week I have another fabulous guest. She's a GP and Senior Clinical Lecturer at Lancaster University. Dr. Millie has just written a book, Happy Hormones, Happy You. Our hormones are our superpower. We wouldn't be able to function or survive without hormones. Stay tuned to hear how this superpower can be used to your advantage. This is relevant to men and women, so it's useful to everyone. So my guest, Dr. Millie, has has written a book, Happy Hormones, Happy You. And writing this book was actually the culmination, I think, in a a personal journey, quite a long personal journey, which resulted uh, in the book. So my first question to her was really, can you just tell us about this uh, journey and uh, why it resulted in you writing a book? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I've been in the NHS now working for 15 years. and over time, as with I'm sure a lot of people, we get ailments, we get illnesses, and I became my own patient. I developed um, symptoms and went to see my GP. And I found it quite interesting at the time how I struggled with so many symptoms, yet no one really talked to me about hormone dysfunction and how we can manage that through our lifestyle. And I suffered with problems with weight gain, struggle to lose weight, multiple symptoms of hormone imbalance. And it was very much, oh, you just stressed, it's your hormones. There was a lot of medical gaslighting really going on at the time. And it made me think, you know, I'm a doctor myself, I should be able to manage my own symptoms. I should be able to find out exactly what's going on and manage myself. And so I ended up doing a diploma in lifestyle medicine, which is an extra qualification. And for those of you who do know me, I do like doing lots of qualifications. So I did an extra qualification. And what that diploma taught me was the importance of lifestyle in chronic disease management, prevention, and perhaps even reversal. So that's what stemmed my journey to self-healing. And what I did do was I implemented those six pillars of lifestyle medicine into my life with all of the medical knowledge I had to try and reverse all the hormone dysfunction that I had. And it markedly improved my weight, the fat melted. And it it was very interesting to see that from just utilizing lifestyle alone at the time really helped me from a physical and psychological point of view as well. Okay. So, but how did, how did you know this was all kind of linked to, linked to hormone imbalance? Because my, my thought would be, okay, lifestyle, change your lifestyle. Don't eat so much rubbish, drink less alcohol, do a bit more exercise. You know, obviously you're going to get better, but is that kind of obvious or maybe not better, but you know, get healthier. Is is that obviously linked into hormones? So it's interesting because a lot of people, you know, state they say, oh, you're just being hormonal. And actually, I think with time, I've started to realize that our hormones are our superpower. We wouldn't be able to function or survive without hormones. And just going back to basics, hormones are 
the chemical messengers within the bloodstream that sends messages from one place to another, sending signals. And without those, we wouldn't be able to communicate. We wouldn't be able to survive. And hormones are a pivotal role in our health. So even though we don't think so much of hormones as a cause or root cause of problems, it, it's important in so many different ways. So for example, with diabetes, we need insulin, which is a hormone. Right. Some hormones are also neurotransmitters as well. So dopamine and serotonin in the brain. So that gives us our drive, our motivation. And so it gives us all of the feelings that we, we, we have. Our thyroid hormone is very important for our setting the metabolic pace of the body. So if that's not working as well as it should, it can give us symptoms. So hormones are so crucial and vital for so many things and impacts on different neurotransmitters that hormones are usually the basis or metabolic dysfunction is usually the basis for a lot of chronic illnesses. And we can look at how we can reverse and prevent and treat that with lifestyle because they do so many different things. So for me, when hormones are in balance, that's when we feel our most healthiest, when we feel well. It's when they're dysfunctional and they're not working in harmony with each other because it's like um, a hierarchy with hormones. They all need to work in balance, in synchrony, sending messages one, you know, to one another. And when it's when they're not working, that's when we tend to get the symptoms. Okay. And, right, wrong, so let's get out. Sorry, I interrupted you, but I was going to say, so this this is for men and women. Now, obviously, women have got different hormones and the monthly cycle and all the rest of it. But pretty much everything you've said so far is applicable to uh, men as well as women. Is that right? 100 percent. I mean, men have um, hormones, like you say. And I think that the key differences here um, is the fact that the women, women, when we're in our reproductive years have our menstrual cycle. So men have a circadian rhythm of hormones with, for example, testosterone and androgens being the main predominant hormone within them. And that will cycle over a 24 hour period. Whereas women who are in the reproductive years will have that 20 day, 28 day menstrual cycle. Typically that's what we say, 28 days, obviously everybody's very different and they can have shorter cycles, longer cycles, and then obviously when people go through the change in the menopause and stop having menstrual cycles, or if they're on contraception and don't have any menstrual cycles, there can be fluctuations. But physiologically, we're fundamenta fundamentally very different. Men have a 24-hour cycle. Yeah. And, and you, you, you mentioned two hormones for men there. You said testosterone. I've heard of that. But you mentioned another one beginning with A. What's that? Androgens. So androgens is like the it's a it's a name for the group of male hormones, which includes testosterone. So you've got other ones such as DHEA um, and other ones. Um, there's there's quite a few male hormones, but androgens is like the group of male hormones. Testosterone is one of those. OK. All right. Now, the, the book you've written, Happy Hormones, is that is that aimed more at women? So the book is targeted, the majority of the audience will be women, but it's accessible and easily read by anybody. And any man who has a woman in the life in the form of a mother, a daughter, a wife, a friend, it will be applicable to everyone. And all the hormones discussed in there, yes, there is an emphasis on the menstrual cycle and how that changes through the different phases, 
through the perimenopause, the menopause. However, we talk, there's, there's, we talk about vitamin D, which is actually a hormone. We talk about melatonin. We talk about leptin, ghrelin, which is to do with our appetite. So multiple hormones, which are relevant to men and women, are discussed as well. Okay. All right. So you, you mentioned how kind of this knowledge of hormones that you had as, you know, as a practicing GP, you put it to use to uh, essentially put yourself on a, on a path of, of self-healing. Let's look at kind of uh, one section of that. How can you use a knowledge of hormones to to lose weight, for example? Because I'm sure that's going to be a question that lots of people ask. Yeah, so it's quite interesting. So within my book, what I've done is I've tried to, the way that I've sectioned it is for so that people can understand the fundamentals of hormones, the different types of hormones. And then we talk about the six pillars of lifestyle medicine. And throughout that, I kind of litter some case studies in there. And one of them is related to weight loss and people who struggle with their weight. So I feel like you need to understand and people need to have a really good grasp of the foundations of hormones, what they are, and which ones potentially could be implicated with weight issues. Now, I've always struggled with weight issues, always struggled with easily gaining weight, difficulty losing weight. And so many people have this assumption that it's a eat less, move more equation and formula. And it's so much more nuanced and more complicated than that. The fact that we're also genetically different and then our epigenetics, our lifestyle interacts with that. There's so many things that we need to look at that are part of the puzzle to help people lose weight. But some of the hormones that are involved in weight management can include insulin. So in the book, I name each hormone. So insulin, I call the fat storing hormone. If we have too much insulin and if we're insulin resistant, it can lead to fat storage, especially around the, the belly area. And a lot of women can suffer with the, the belly fat around the menopause time. So insulin's a hormone that's really important. Then we've got something called ghrelin, which is what we call the hunger hormone that regulates our hunger. So if there's any dysregulation within that, because people are genetically susceptible, then that can cause problems where people are really hungry all the time. And then leptins are satiety, fullness hormone. It gives you that sense of being full. And again, studies have shown that if people who've got some genetic abnormality within that, they don't sense that feeling of fullness and they continue eating. So there's, that's just a few that I've mentioned there. We've mentioned insulin, leptin, ghrelin. I mean, thyroid as well. That's really important. I've mentioned earlier that thyroid is your metabolic hormone. It sets the pace of the body. Yeah. If you've got too much then the metabolic rate of the body is too quick. But if it's too little and you've got less thyroid hormone and you're hypothyroid, then the, the, the pace of the body slowed down and that can lead to weight gain. Very interestingly, okay. people in the perimenopause really do struggle with thyroid dysfunction and it's much more prevalent in that phase of women's life. So while they're also battling the lowering estrogen and progesterone, thyroid problems tend to rear its head so this that's just a few of them there are more hormones involved oh. okay so i mean you could so you can go into this knowing which hormones might be causing the, the problem you might have too much or too little of or, or whatever but then you you know you, you've got to use that knowledge to do something about it so you know what what can you do on day one of realizing that you know this or that hormone needs tweaking a little bit 
Yeah, so, I mean, I like the way you've described that. And it would be great if we could just think, how can we make less of this hormone and make more? And there's ways in our lifestyle that we can hack our hormones and utilize like utilize lifestyle to change things. But we know when we go through the change in the menopause, estrogen and progesterone levels lower to a baseline lower level. And yes, we can eat foods and we can do things to improve those levels, but they're never going to go back to our physiological levels unless we go on hormone replacement therapy. So there's things that we can do. Um, So for example, in terms of insulin, one of the biggest hormonal drivers for obesity and weight issues is insulin resistance. And the the cause of that in the majority of people is the the eating of ultra-processed foods. So ultra-processed foods that hit that bliss spot, cause that dopamine hit and make you feel really good after eating it. You know, it's 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 very important for the big food companies because that's what they're producing. So they want to be profitable. They want to produce those foods that are going to create that bliss point. But because of the fact that it's so highly processed and it's so laden with high, high saturated fat and also high processed sugars with lack of fiber, the really high sugar is causing us to become and drive more insulin out. And then we're eventually becoming insulin resistant and inflamed. And because of that insulin resistance, people struggle with hunger because if you've got insulin resistance and the insulin's not working, telling the cells to take that sugar into the cells to use as energy, you're just going to keep eating and it perpetuates the problem. Then you create more insulin and then you just, you're on this positive, you know, vicious cycle where you're creating more insulin because you're eating so much processed foods and 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 this it's a massive massive problem well that certainly is a a, a huge problem you know with the um and so that eventually what you're describing will end up uh people being diabetic will it type 2 diabetes yes you know that will um lead to type 2 diabetes and type 2 diabetes is a chronic condition which is driven by lifestyle yes people might have the genetic propensity to develop that so for example with myself my father's got type 2 diabetes so there is a genetic component there so I am susceptible unlikely to get that so if I can if I continued to eat all the processed foods and ultra processed foods that I did continued to have lack of sleep which is going to raise my cortisol levels and continued with unhealthy lifestyle habits lack of exercise that's all going to drive insulin resistance, inflammation and contribute to the problem because insulin, people with type 2 diabetes, it can be reversed through lifestyle. Okay. Moving on a little bit to, you you spoke about hormones at at different times. You said, you know, there's a male 24-hour cycle and obviously women have their 28-day cycle. If you've got a knowledge of that, and then say, you know, eat different things at different times of the cycle or do exercise at different times. Is is that something worth exploring? It's really interesting because in medical school, yes, I, I learned about the menstrual cycle, but there was nothing or no discussion at all about how we should eat and fuel our menstrual cycle and how we should exercise in accordance with our menstrual cycle. And this is a really emerging area. And I think One thing to point out is that everyone's different. Some people find that they can eat 
the same throughout the cycle. Other people are different. But from a physiological point of view, because of the changes in the hormones that occur during the menstrual cycle, there are hormone changes that occur. So, for example, in the first 14 days or so of a woman's menstrual cycle, when you're more insulin sensitive, your estrogen is rising and we are more insulin sensitive. That's a great time for us to eat really low carbohydrate foods that that and people can lend into the fasting practices because that's a great time to do it. It's obviously carbohydrates are really important from a fiber point of view, but it's just eating the more cruciferous vegetables and getting our carbohydrates from the lower carb food sources um, because there's plenty of ways we can do that. But then in the luteal phase, which is the two weeks before your period, we are physiologically insulin resistant. That, that That's what occurs within us. So people do feel more hungrier. Now, from, from, an ad, from my point of view, that's probably because our bodies are trying to support that pregnancy. You know, we know from the studies that our metabolic rate increases by just short of 10% in that time. We're trying to get pregnant. We're trying to maintain and support a pregnancy. So we're once, we, we get more hungry. We're more insulin resistant. So eating more car carbohydrate, if we're going to eat more foods that have got carbohydrates and making sure that they're unprocessed. So making sure that we're having more citrus fruits and making sure that we're having more you know sweet potatoes and other vegetables that can help support that process because progesterone which is a predominant hormone in the luteal phase needs lots of vitamin c so from kiwis and citrus fruit that can help support its function so it's really important that we can try and look at how we can eat to support our hormones and i am an avid faster and um, for people who do follow me on social media um, i think it's very important I enjoy the benefits of fasting. And from my point of view, the reason why I fast um, is, is because there's so much healing and metabolic flexibility that I'm wanting to achieve. Fasting isn't for everybody. Um, but for me, I have benefits from fasting. And I always do my fasting and extended fasting in that follicular phase at the beginning of my menstrual cycle when I'm more insulin sensitive. But it's me knowing that that can help me tap into that tool and fast yeah, okay. at different times yeah yeah so, so tell us a bit more about um your fasting and how, how you go about um doing that and the effect that that might have on hormones yeah well it's, again i think um just going back to one of the other questions you mentioned about the differences between men and women a lot of the research on hormones and a lot of the research tends to be on men even exercise studies and therefore because we're so physiologically different it's very difficult to extrapolate that to women who are cycling and having menstrual cycles um but with my fasting it, again I, I, I think it's important to look at what your goals are with fasting and and so i i tailor that to my menstrual cycle so um, at the moment i'm in my follicular phase and next week i will do an extended fast so i'll do a three-day um water fast um now, when you do fast, again, it's not for everyone, obviously, people who are pregnant, who've got a history of eating disorder and who, you know, athletically, the needs are very different from someone like myself. It might not be constructive for them to do it. So it's always taking everything on an individual basis. And obviously, everything that we talk about is for education. And if, if we're people are wanting to implement certain practices, always see a healthcare practitioner. Yeah. But the so difficulty three, is, is three fasting. days. Hang on. Three three days, you said, Millie. 
that seems, that I sounds think, like a long fast to me. It's it, well, you know, um, it's becoming there's more <clears throat> more and more studies being done on people and utilizing it as a therapeutic intervention because when you fast, the stem cells in the bone marrow as well can get stimulated and it's a really good and it what what's postulated as a theory is it's a very good healing processing tool because it stimulates a process called autophagy which helps clean up the zombie cells so it, it, it you know it's it's meant to be really helpful and supportive for that purpose i i mean when you obviously you're switching from glucose burning to fat burning to produce ketones that's what occurs when i fast and the energy that I use from my ketones gives me a mental clarity, Mike, that is just out of this world. I mean, I, I function so much better. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, so it's pretty, so pretty spectacular. You have just water for three days. Is that right, Millie? So, yeah. I, I, well, I have um, electrolytes as well. So I think, again, this is it's the same with people. You wouldn't say to someone run a marathon without training for it. I've trained to fast for this length of time for years and years. It's not something I've just jumped into. I've built my body up and it's responded to the fasting and increased the hours over the years. So it's something that has to be worked up to. But okay. when, when you do fast, your, insulin, your glucose level and insulin levels lower. And when your insulin levels lower, you actually release um, sodium and other electrolytes from the renal tubules. So it's really important that when you do fast, that you do maintain not just water, but also electrolytes because electrolyte abnormalities will make you feel unwell um, and it can give you um, problems with your health. So I supplement um, sodium and potassium and also um, water. Um, and I do that with, so I just have some pink Himalayan salt and I have some lemons. The lemons provide me with the uh, potassium, the pink Himalayan salt um, with the sodium and I will have water. Occasionally I'll have a little bit of bone broth as well, which is a really good source of electrolytes. It, and then I will do three days, um, three, the longest I've ever done is four days, but there's people who have done a lot longer. And, and I think there was a gentleman who just did the last London marathon, who did an extended fast of seven days and then ran the London marathon, which is basically he was trying, I think the, the reason why was he was trying to show people that we have enough fuel in our body to run for hundreds of hours. We don't need all this perception that we need food and glucose okay. you know we can metabolically yeah. flex and utilize fat as a energy source so how, how long did it take you to train as it were to get to the time when you could do a, a, a three-day fast i mean you said you've been training or practicing it for a long time how long i'd say about um 18 months i would say 18 okay. months very interesting now something which i found absolutely fascinating when you were just mentioning that is that you, you you felt like you could really concentrate on things and you had clarity of thought. So, Millie, I'm, I'm keen to ask you about this idea of greater mental clarity. You mentioned that during your uh, three-day fasts, you get greater mental clarity. Um, now, my, my, my youngest child is 13, but I'm pretty sure I remember my wife sort of coming up with this phrase, well, I think other people use it, of, you know, pregnant brain, um, mm -hmm. And then also, more recently, going through the menopause, she was complaining of, you know, brain fog. Uh, and a lot of people have been talking about that recently. So is, is this kind of um, mental clarity or brain fog? Is that a result of uh, hormones as well? 
Yes, I, I think it is. Um, and so with fasting, just to say, um, people can feel some of the benefits from fasting, not just from doing extended fast, you know, intermittent fasting, 16 hours of of resting and 18 hours of an eating window or 20 hours of, a, of, of fasting and four hours of a window can be useful for some. It doesn't have to always be extended fasting. Um, and studies are showing that the benefits of fasting on the metabolic health is great. But brain fog is a massive. Nelly, do you talk about yeah. this? Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. All about all of this is um, covered in the book, um, which is which is great. Um, it. I wish I'd read this book as a as a as in my reproductive years and when I was younger, because I think having that knowledge and understanding really can arm you with information for when you're seeing your healthcare practitioner, and also putting into place self-management strategies yourself of what people can do to improve and hack the hormones but brain fog is a massive one that I see you know a lot of the patients I see come in with brain fog and that feeling of low energy and there's multiple reasons and interestingly there is a case study in the book that talks about a lady in, in her perimenopausal years with brain fog and there's some here are just some examples of how um, for example testosterone we think of as a male predominant hormone but we have more testosterone in our female body than estrogen obviously we have about 10 percent of the levels that are in men but it's still we have a higher proportion of androgens and testosterone in our body than than estrogen and when we go through the perimenopause and menopause testosterone progesterone and estrogen decrease and all of those decreasing can make us feel like we've got brain fog and low energy testosterone in particular but also estrogen, when it lowers, and we know it does lower, and that forms the basis of what's in hormone replacement therapy. Estrogen helps our, it, it stimulates our dopamine, adrenaline, and serotonin in our brains and the neurotransmitters to give us that energy. And so when levels are low, we can feel lacking in motivation, lacking in energy, and give us that brain fog. And we've got little powerhouses in and in our cells called mitochondria and they're the powerhouses of our cells and it creates energy and what we know is that those mitochondria are hormone dependent so when we've got low estrogen it can't produce energy as well but what we do know is that when we break down our fat and produce ketones our mitochondria can utilize that ketones and it's not a hormone dependent process so that's a really good way of understanding that when we've gone through the change, even adapting the way that we eat and making sure that our, because people do notice that they say, oh, I eat exactly the same, but I've got no energy and I cannot shift the weight. And there is a metabolic reason behind that. And if we can understand what's going on and tailor our nutrition to that, people can manage their symptoms a lot better, whether it be brain fog issues or struggling with their weight. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Yeah, no, certainly. And so in, in my case, my, my wife, my wife went through the menopause and really struggled uh, with just feeling really low and brain fog. And she, she used patches, hormone replacement uh, therapy uh, using patches. And it was like a switch. It was like night and day. It was such... Um, well a relief actually in many ways but it certainly helped her 
Um, but then maybe thinking, doing some of these uh, similar things through um, diet or potentially exercise as well could be quite an interesting thing to, uh, to look at and think about. A lot of people get improvement with HRT, but then there's a lot of women who don't get improvement with HRT. And I think addressing the lifestyle issues in conjunction, if HRT is appropriate and the patient wants, is a really important tool. If people understand how they should eat to help and harness the hormones, how they should exercise, how they should sleep properly. And it all sounds so simple. Make sure you eat well, move more, sleep well you know, make sure you've got uh, your mental health is balanced, you should go for a walk every day, and making sure that you avoid toxic substances. But it's so much more in depth than that. And that's exactly what my book explores. So, you know, it's about eating those foods that can stimulate the hormones that we're wanting to hack. It's exercising according to our menstrual cycle. But then when we've gone through the change, what do we need to do exercise wise to help with the, losing the body fat? Is there any specific strategies? Because you see so many people saying, oh, I go to the gym, I go three, four times a week, I go spinning, but I can't shift the weight. But there's a reason for that. And that's what my book talks about. It talks yeah. about exactly what's going on and what we can do. But sleep, I mean, if we're deficient in sleep, our cortisol rises, cortisol can cause insulin to rise which can make us insulin resistant. And it all goes back to that. So if you're insulin resistant, you're going to feel hungrier, you eat more, you gain more fat around the belly, and it all perpetuates. You know, um, there's a lot of toxic substances, not just alcohol, not just smoking. All of the environmental toxins in our households, in our perfumes, in the plastics that we use, that can damage our hormones. Some of them are called xenoestrogens because they mimic estrogen's effect. And this can cause huge problems. Um, so that's just toxic substances. And then we know, as I've mentioned, hormones don't just cause physical symptoms, right? They don't just cause the grain fog. They can cause psychological symptoms. People can feel really low when their estrogen and progesterone drops. And so looking at people's sleep, making because we know progesterone can help trigger GABA, which helps with sleep. So when your progesterone levels are low in, in the perimenopause and menopause, you're going to struggle sleeping. And if you struggle sleeping, you tend to eat more. And then you tend to, do you see the cycle? It just continues. Yeah. There's so many things that impact on things. And if people knew, they could then maybe prioritize sleep. What's really interesting, Mike, is that some people actually start increasing their alcohol intake to help them sleep during the perimenopause and menopause. Because they say, I can't get to sleep because the progesterone's a bit lower. And so they drink alcohol because alcohol stimulates GABA and GABA can help with the sleep process. But what happens is that alcohol prevents you going from one sleep cycle to another and it stops the transition through the phases. So actually you get less deep sleep. So even though it might help you nod off to sleep, the quality of the sleep and the sleep architecture is ruined and that yeah. can make you feel even groggier, which can worsen the brain fog. I could go on okay. for ages about this. Yeah, well, let, I'm going to interrupt you and just ask a little bit about male brain fog, because um, now I, I know some men suffer from um, a, a lack of male hormones, testosterone in particular. Is that an age thing? But I've heard some people say that it kind of affects their concentration and, you know, they suffer from brain fog as well. 
So brain fog in men and women can be due to testosterone deficiency and low levels. Um, it can be due to other things. So, but women, like I've mentioned, low testosterone, when we go through the perimenopause and menopause can trigger, it can trigger a lack of motivation, a brain fog, low energy. And it's the same in men as well. People who, men as well, when their levels of testosterone reduce, they can get those symptoms. But also there are other causes of brain fog. It can be a soul psychological problem. People may feel low. Um, and so it's important to explore the whole patient and ask them all the symptoms and see what other symptoms they're getting. Obviously, testosterone deficiency in men can cause brain fog, but it might cause other symptoms such as loss of libido and lo low sex drive. And so it's not it's asking about all the symptoms and finding out what's actually going on um, and yeah. testosterone replacements in men and women can be it can be life-changing if that's if that's caused if that's causing the symptoms that they're getting okay now there's one other thing that i, I want to ask you about which has gained popularity i think in, in recent times certainly the last uh, year or so and that's people having injections to try and uh, reduce hunger um, mm -hmm. I'm not really quite sure how this works or what the injection is. I, I, th I think it's the, the, the hunger hormone, isn't it, that, that gives you the impression that you, you've eaten enough. Um, but tell us a bit about that and if you think that kind of thing is a good idea, because I know it does help people lose weight for sure. But, you know, t tell us what your thoughts on that. It's interesting. So, um, so it, people refer to it as the skinny jab. Um, basically, it's glucose glucagon-like peptide one it's a glp1 agonist and there's different names of the ones in in that so there's azempic for example and there are other ones and certain ones are licensed and we're advised to pres um, pres prescribe for people who've got that type 2 diabetes and then there's other people where if they have certain it, for if they're struggling with weight issues, second, like a tertiary centre, so a specialist centre can initiate that under supervision. The issue I have with it um, is that a lot of people seem to think it's like this miracle injection. And what's really interesting, Mike, as well, is that so many people who haven't got obesity and type 2 diabetes are ordering this off the internet and actually reducing the supply that's available to people who are needing it with type 2 diabetes and with obesity and so they're really struggling sourcing it for their for their needs when people are freely buying it off the internet and there are there are dangers associated is that with it. Legal? More, it sounds like the sort of thing you should only really be able to get your hands on with a prescription um it's people are buying it off the internet i think there's like some screening questionnaires asking them about what weight they are and you know a few other questions and people are buying this off the internet and you know my concern with it especially if it's used from a weight management and obesity point of view i remember someone saying to me why don't you just go on the skinny jab and i looked at them i was quite offended because i thought well that's them indirectly saying to me that i am overweight and obese and i needed to lose weight but it's not going to address the lifestyle changes someone needs to sustainably make in their behavior yeah because if you go on that injection it will satiate you it will make you feel full and so you go into eat less and therefore yes weight loss isn't just a calories in calories out equation there's hormones that influence it however if you are in a calorie deficit you will lose weight so if you're eating less 
And, you know, yes, look, yeah, there are hormonal issues, but if you are eating a significant amount less, you will lose weight. So people use a, lose a drastic amount of weight on it. But when they stop that skinny jab, if they're still going to eat the ultra processed foods, they're still going to drink alcohol excessively. They're going to not move and exercise. They're not going to sleep adequately. That's, they're just going to repilot on, if not more. Whether when people lose weight as well from the skinny jab, that's not just fat, it's muscle. And what we do know is muscle forms part of our basal metabolic rate. The more muscle mass we have, the higher our basal metabolic rate and our, the, the, the rate of us burning energy. So if right. we're going to lose, lose weight, that weight may be on the skinny jab from fat and muscle. And therefore, people's metabolic rate slows down. And then when they do start eating normally again, they put weight on plus more. And then they go back on this. You see, it's again, it's just this perpetuating vicious circle. But it's interesting. I mean, let's see how it all pans out with all the research. I think its use in a specialist service may have a role if the behavioral techniques and interventions of how people can change the behavior is implemented so i don't think it should be given lightly but okay i think it's very interesting because there's there's you know we've got this skinny jab and then people are going to eat less i wonder at what point when big food company sales drop before big pharma start thinking do do, do you know what i mean i mean there's going to be a point when people start (laughs) eating less and it's going to affect food sales if we are all going to be or a lot majority of people are taking it and then i actually think it will be a lot more restricted and available in the future because of the knock-on effect of that well okay possibly i mean there's all, all sorts of uh, interesting theories there um about who's talking to who but certainly um absolutely loads of interesting stuff you've spoken about um millie that is potentially helpful for a lot of people now just remind us um about your book and uh, where people can get it and what it's called and all that kind of thing. Yes. Um, so it's called Happy Hormones, Happy You. Um, I have tried to summarise and make all the evidence and science available in an accessible way. I'm very passionate about bringing evidence-based medicine and what the science says into easy, easily readable and digestible um, formats. So I've tried to make it very user-friendly. People can buy it off Amazon um, on my website, which is drmilly.co.uk. So D-R-M-I-L-L-I.co.uk. There will be a link to the Amazon site for you to purchase the paperback, which is available um, from today, which is the 1st of November. And also um, you can download it from the, for the Kindle as well. So I think it's an investment for me. I wish I could read the more books I read like this. It can only give you more information and empowerment on how to improve your health, you know, and health is um, knowledge is power and health is wealth. I know it sounds cheesy. It sounds corny. But in a, in a world where we're struggling to access appointments for preventative care, what we can do ourselves to improve our hormonal health is just imperative. I don't think I think it should be. I think, you know, my my daughter has read it as well. You know, she's only 10, but she's um, I think it's very important to become hormone intelligent at a young age and actually learn what we can do. 
So that's what I'm trying to do is try and empower as many people as possible. So if anything in it resonates with you, please reach out, let me know and feel free to share it with people and let them know. It, it makes a great stocking filler for Christmas. You know, on that Boxing Day, when people have overindulged on Christmas Day, they can start the reading um, to better health. OK, that sounds like great advice. It sounds like an excellent book. So, uh, Millie, thank you very much indeed for chatting. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much to my guest on this week's show, Dr. Millie, talking about her new book, Happy Hormones, Happy You. A big thank you to you for listening and have a healthy week until next week. Thanks for listening to the Relax Back UK show. Join me, Mike Dilk, again next week for more fascinating interviews and chat. If you're listening to the podcast version, please subscribe, like, and share it with your family and friends. And have a healthy week. Until next week.